0: Okay, before I get to my next guest, Dr. Bern Bernacki, I want to give a shout-out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. Are you, like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of nine yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, that's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com, and get Squares 30-day money back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the
1: show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com.
0: Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Dr. Bern Bernacki. Dr. Bernacki is from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He went to Central Catholic High School, which is one of the best high school football programs in the country. It's where Dan Marino went to high school. One of our favorites over on the football side, our show Thursday Night Tailgate, Steelers play-by-play announcer Bill Hillgrove went there, as did another former NFL quarterback, Mark Bulger, to name just a few of the great players that they've had come out of Central Catholic. Dr. Bernanke earned his college degree in biology from the University of Pittsburgh. He is a primary care physician at the Bernanke Family Practice and Wellness Center. He's a board member of the Pittsburgh Regional Healthcare Initiative. And if you're wondering, what does all this have to do with golf? Well, he's also a board member of the First Tee of Pittsburgh and the president of the Golf Heritage Society. And I'm honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Dr. Byrne, thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Dr. Byrne, I want to start out by talking about, you know, your game, your golf game and when you developed the love of the game. Where did that come from?
1: Oh, boy. Well, I started out playing a muni uh, right here in the city of Pittsburgh at what we call the Shenley Park. Now it's been renamed the, the, the Bob after our former mayor, who uh, Bob O'Connor. So Bob played with his sons there and was often seen uh, with his family out there on the muni. And it so happens that uh, 60 years ago, I would hang out on that same golf course and played with a mixed set of golf clubs. And, you know, the rest is, uh, you know, now becoming golf history.
0: So to that point, Dr. Byrne, you know, the the Bob is, is a heck of a historic golf course up there in Pittsburgh. It dates back to 1897. It's right there between Oakland and Squirrel Hill. It also happens to be the the home of the first T of Pittsburgh and the, I believe it's the only course within the Pittsburgh city limits. Talk about that.
1: Those are all correct statements and the history of the Shenley Park golf course is fascinating. Um, it's, it's a, a course that's you know, was built by the industrialists on public property. And when it was sort of discovered by the public, uh, the game of golf, that is, and they wanted to play on their Muni, well, the folks that built the course said, you know what? I think that, that we, it's time for us to build some private courses. And from that came Oakmont, Pittsburgh Field Club, and Fox Chapel in the, um, North and Northeast Hills. So it's fascinating how the history of the Shenley Park golf course and the other famous golf courses, uh, overlap.
0: And to that point, Dr. Byrne, and I think most everyone knows about the, you know, the two great golf courses that are not far from from Pittsburgh. You mentioned Oakmont and, obviously, Mr. Palmer's home course there at La Trobe Country Club. So talk about some of the other great historic courses that people may not be aware of that are in and around the Pittsburgh area. Oh,
1: uh, Thanks for that question. I absolutely love to talk about our visits to Foxburg Country Club 1887. Going up there is a real treat. It's about an hour north of Pittsburgh on Route 79, then hang a right and go east on 80 for about uh, 15 more miles. And that course uh, was uh, formed by a gentleman named Fox. He came back from Scotland and got, brought some golf clubs with him, showed some guys all about the game, and they built a six-hole course, then a nine-hole course, then an 18-hole course. And that course has continued in operation until this very day. We play a tournament there. Uh, we've played 13 times uh, each year uh, for 13 years, and it's called the Foxburg um, Hickory Championship. Uh, in that particular tournament, Chris, we play um, gutty balls, which are gutta-percha balls and smooth face pre-1900 clubs. Some of the guys will come out in their own division with post-1900 clubs and a Haskell wound ball, and some of the guys will come out for fun and play with their modern equipment. The Foxburg course has a museum uh, above the clubhouse. It's an old, um, it's a second clubhouse they've had. They relocated it o- over the years. They, they built it with a beautiful porch, and we all hang out there. And uh, upstairs is that uh, wonderful collection of uh, uh, golf clubs and, and equipment for over the years, all the way back from 1887. So it's a wonderful place to, to go and visit, particularly in the summer when it's hot in the city. It's cool up there in the hills.
0: And Dr. Byrne, there was a recent Hickory Golf event over at Clearview Golf Club in East Canton, Ohio. Clearview was built and designed by William Powell, who was the first African-American to build and own a golf club. The course is a national historic site. Talk about that event and the history of that course.
1: Well, you're exactly right, Chris. That's a nice uh, summary statement. Um, uh, Bill uh, Powell was a gentleman who played a lot of golf as a youngster and in high school uh, and during World War II went overseas to Europe, and they saw that he could play some golf. So uh, rumor has it that he drove the Jeep for the general, and they did okay over there. But when he got back to the States, um, because of the color of his skin, he was not able to get on a golf course. Uh, undeterred, he, uh, found a way to raise some money, buy some property and, uh, build his own golf course. And he, um, built that course and, um, taught his youngest, young daughter, Renee, to play the game starting at age three. Renee grew up, loved the game as a, you no know, young, um, young woman went on and played in the LPGA tour, had some success. Uh, spent some time uh, overseas in Scotland uh, and uh, developed a clothing line, did some other interesting things, and has a dormitory named after her, Renee Powell, over in Scotland at St. Andrews University. Interesting point. Lovely lady. Um, she is, uh, like her dad, in the Golf Hall of Fame uh, because they deserve to be. Um, the story and the uh, passion for the game is unparalleled. So um, to the, to the point of the earlier visit, uh, the Gulf Heritage Society has kind of adopted Clearview, kind of adopted Foxburg, and kind of adopted Oakhurst, uh, as courses that may be in jeopardy. Um, the, the Clearview is not so much in jeopardy, but we need to tell that story. We need to, uh, help people understand how important, uh, that story and that, that, that land uh, is to the American game of golf with Mr. Powell and Renee Powell, um, contributing so much, uh, to the American game of golf. Anyway, we went out there in July to play around and we did something that is unique. I don't think it's ever been done before. We played, uh, a round of golf, uh, with guys who played, uh, four different types of golf clubs at the same outing. We played a foursome went out and played moderns, and they were folks from Western PA who came out to meet Renee um, and uh, become familiar with the uh, legacy of William Powell. Right behind them was a foursome that went out that I was in, and uh, two of the guys played Hickory golf clubs, and uh, one guy played those pirate tone clubs, and I played um, uh, classic golf clubs from the Palmer, Nicholas, and Player era. Those Steel shaft, persimmon head, and blade clubs. It was a blast. We all had a good time.
0: Dr. Byrne, I wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit. You mentioned the Golf Heritage Society, and uh, I want you to talk about that a bit. It started out as the Golf Society, which was founded back in 1970. But talk about the origin of the group. Well, two guys got together. They had a love of uh, collecting.
1: Um, One gentleman was from Ohio. And, uh, Bob Kuntz, he was a, a club guy and a ball guy. He, he just had a wonderful collection over the years And the Dayton, Ohio, Cincinnati era uh, area was a hotbed, uh, for, uh, play and collectors of the old game. Several, uh, old courses, uh, Donald Ross courses in and around that era. And a guy named Joe Murdoch was a book collector and researcher who lived in Philadelphia and these guys um found out about each other and started to uh um you know correspond by mail got to meet each other and then boom they decided to start a society for people who were interested in in the old uh, golf history and the old golf collectibles and in 1970 they formally uh with uh, I think 24 folks founded the Golf Collectors Society and now we're 51 years old.
0: And Dr. Vernon, the memorabilia that you either own or you must have seen over the years has got to be phenomenal. Talk about some of your favorite pieces and, and how hot the golf collectibles business is now.
1: Well, I'm Chris, I'm going to answer the second question first. Golf collecting is really, really fun. I only could talk about this for two to 10 hours,
0: uh, but I know we <laughs> have limited
1: time so when when we talk about collectibles, I want everybody to know and understand that everybody has collectibles. everybody has something that's important to them because well the most valuable collectibles are those treasures that are close to your soul uh, It might be that uh, scorecard and pencil that you were first time with your parents playing golf, or it might be the same thing on a first u s Open the ball you played in a first uh organized tournament, those kind of things. We call those golf treasures, collectibles. And then there are those other things that that are valuable in the economic sense. Um, uh, we learned uh, about two weeks ago uh, that a putter that Tiger Woods had, and we don't even think it was a regular putter, it was a practice putter, was sold for on auction. Are you ready? If you're sitting down... Uh, that's okay. If you're not, sit down. $365,000. Wow. Wow. So, you know, there's economic value based on who owned what and those kind of things. So, um, the range of collectibles is, um, very diverse and it's beautiful because it's so much fun. There are modern things, uh, that are unusual that, you know, Ricky Fowler's hat and things that are quite older. Uh, such as those long nose wooden clubs that were handmade one at a time. Um, you know, they might, uh, uh, be at one of our, uh, shows and be sold for a few thousand to ten thousand just, dollars. It just depends on who made it and what kind of condition it is. So there are people who collect simple things like those pencils and cards. And, uh, then you get into the, the balls and the clubs and it, it's a lot of fun. It just, A great time to be a golf collector. Of course, we renamed the Golf Heritage Society because our people in it are not only collectors, but we have folks that, you know, they, they they're architects and, uh, golf writers, professionals, teachers, country club members, golf league players, the architects, the course superintendents and, and the historians. All these people have interests. So we said, you know, we probably should, um, acknowledge all of this family of golf interests and call ourselves the Golf Heritage Society. And if I may say, uh, our website is golfheritage.org. And if you go there, you'll see our fabulous website. Um, and you can find out about our publication, The Golf. It's a quarterly magazine that we put out that has everything from collecting tips to Golf repair of, of several eras of golf clubs to interesting art, articles on golf art and sculpture and ceramics and jewelry and you name it because we have the, um, authorities and members that can write the articles and bring that kind of, uh, entertainment and education and wonder to our, to our members and our
0: audience. So there's a couple of things there that I want to unpack, Dr. Byrne. First of all, um you just recently celebrated the 50th anniversary of the group with a convention up there in Monroeville, which is just outside of Pittsburgh, right next to my hometown of Penn Hills. And our mutual friend, Bob Ford, who joined me a few weeks ago, was a keynote speaker at the event. Talk about that event and what went on there.
1: Wow. There again, we had so much fun, Chris. So Yeah, we we expanded our format from a two and a half day to a four and a half day. Um, we played golf twice. We played up at a beautiful country course called Totter Ridge. And the Tanto family that owns it rolled out the red carpet for us. Everybody played, uh, who played, whether they played Hickory or Classics or Moderns, had a wonderful time and a gorgeous day. The next day, we went to Latrobe Country Club, home of Arnold Palmer. And we played Heritage Golf, meaning we played our Hickory Championship. I personally played in the Classics division with those persimmons and blades again, because I wanted to uh, play a, a set of golf clubs uh, that Arnold Palmer was associated with, the power built by Wilson. It was a blast. I did pretty good. And the course was tough, but beautiful. And afterwards, we had a 19th hole celebration at the clubhouse. We were welcome to wander through and see Arnold Palmer's amateur collection of winnings. We had hors d'oeuvres, and we listened to, you You named him, Bill Hillgrove, voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Pitt Panthers. He emceed an event. We bumped elbows a couple times because he's a a class of Central Catholic a few years ahead of me, and uh, he did a fabulous job. Doc Giffen, Arnold Palmer's right-hand man, uh, Arnold Palmer's younger sister, Sandy Sarney, was there, and a few friends and relatives of Arnold Palmer. So we did all of that on Thursday. Friday we had a art um, we had a couple of educational sessions uh including the history of the stand wedge where we brought out clubs from boy the very beginning right up to the modern clubs and talked about who built them, how, why and the fine points by experts from our own audience. It was fascinating. We had an art show where we had golf art um, producers three artists from our membership gave an absolutely fascinating presentation talking about how they choose a subject, how they respond when they are asked uh, to commission uh, a work and how they go about that business. We learned a lot about that side of the game of golf. Um and we um had a banquet where Bob Ford was our keynote speaker and Bob was asked to um make a presentation and then take some questions about his relationship with Arnold Palmer. And Bob Ford, the consummate gentleman got up and told several very, very uh, intimate, classy stories about his relationship with Arnold Palmer. Uh, Most of them were humorous. A couple of them showed the competitive side of uh, one Arnold Palmer, but all in all, everything was a blast that evening. The food was good. The company was even better. So it was a wonderful event for us. Uh, we summarized on Sunday morning uh, with a gentleman from Carnegie Mellon University, who's a history guy. And he talked to us about the 1919 uh, PGA uh, competition, uh, where a couple of amateurs were um, uh, also present. And, you know, to be honest, I think it was the 1919 amateur at Oakmont that he was researching and previewing his upcoming book. That's Steve Schlossman, Ph.D., and uh, wow, did we learn a lot from that. That was just a great time.
0: Well, Dr. Bernacki, before I let you go, let our listeners know again about your website, what they can find on it, and then how they can get more involved.
1: Well, Chris, thanks again for having me, and I'll tell those folks who are your listeners and our new friends uh, go to golfheritage.org all smalls and you'll find our wonderful website we'll invite you um young or old man or woman uh whatever kind of golf interest you have you'll find 50 years of our archives and you'll have fun there's a open to the public section and then for $50 per year you will be invited to look at 50 years of our uh archives and go in places that you never knew about, about the people, places, events, and artifacts relating to the game of golf. So join us.
0: Well, Dr. Byrne, it's been a huge thrill having you as part of this show. I hope we get the privilege of having you come back again sometime because I know we've just barely scratched the surface of all the great things that you guys are doing. I can't wait to uh, hear more hear more about it and have you back.
1: Chris, I'd love that. Thanks so much for having me, and I'll look forward to coming back. Take
0: care now. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Byrne. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris. Same to you and yours. That is Dr. Byrne Bernacki. And again, the Society, fantastic stuff. GolfHeritageSociety.org is the website. So much great content and information, stories available for you out on that website as well. And one of the things that sort of drew me right in is something that's little known anymore in the game of golf. It was a, a rule way back when, is, and that's being stymied. Way back when, you didn't have to mark your golf ball if your ball was in the line of your opponent. You could leave it right there, and they were what was called stymied because they had to either go around or try to figure out how to go over your ball. If they struck your ball, that was a penalty. So what a uh, unbelievable rule that was way back in the day and a a great advantage you could have over your opponent. Again, go online to check out golfheritage.org as well as hickorygolfers.com to learn more about what they're doing as well. It was a lot of fun having Dr. Byrne as part of the show. Look forward to having him back on again soon.